Bishop Earl and I discuss polygamy and insanity and more next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? One of our topics this time is insanity in the early Mormon polygamy pioneer culture. And first, we want to quote from Fanny Stenhouse, who wrote a book entitled Tell It All, which is filled with details about day-to-day life of early Mormonism in Utah and the threat of polygamy that loomed like a dark cloud over every female in the territory. Very interesting story here in her book, page 483. Had I been treated with the cruelty and neglect which has fallen to the lot of so many unfortunate women in Utah, I should probably have been in my grave today or in that asylum which has been provided by the church situated on a lonely hill at a sufficient distance from the city so that the cries of the unhappy, ill-treated, insane women should not be heard. <laughs> Gosh. Now, yeah, and, and notice that it said that the church, the provided. Mormon church, provided the asylum uh, in those early days. That in itself is really not too terribly <laughs> suspicious. But listen on, because it will become evident why they provided such a place for the pioneer uh, polygamist. Now, Fanny Stenhouse's story explains that her husband was driven and economically threatened into taking a plural wife, even though neither he nor she wanted to do so. But she said that his polygamy would have driven her insane <laughs> if she had not if, if, if she had been treated as cruelly and with neglect as so many of the wives were, but she wasn't. He treated her, still treated her well even after he took another wife. But many plural wives were treated cruelly and with neglect, so the church provided an asylum for them. Another book that was written during that time is entitled Women of Mormonism by Jenny Anderson Frosith, and she writes this. Mormon polygamy is characterized by deceit and treachery. Men will break, without the slightest compunction, the most solemn vows that man can pledge to woman. They will take other wives clandestinely and then excuse their duplicity by saying that they did it to avoid a row or a scandal, or they were afraid their wives would not consent to their taking more women. I could myself mention 50 instances of the meanest kind of treachery whose terrible results upon the innocent, trustful victims are seen in the insane asylum or the grave. So we have another mention of an insane asylum here as yeah, a result by a of polygamy. Person, another person. And yeah. by another person. Now she noted uh, that polygamous wives were driven insane by the treachery of their church and their husbands. A few pages later she wrote this. Two plural wives were driven insane by polygamy. One died a raving maniac calling upon heaven to curse her husband and declaring that she was going to hell sent there by polygamy. Paint a bright picture. A lot of joy there. In Utah. <laughs> yeah. One of Brigham Young's plural wives, Ann Eliza Webb, also wrote about polygamy and polygamists in early Mormonism. And she tells about a plural wife and mother who was sworn to secrecy about her polygamy even after she had a baby. She couldn't say anything about being married in those days. Having a baby out of wedlock was bad yeah. news. And it tells what happened with her. The second wife was compelled to see herself pointed out as an object of pity and her child branded as illegitimate. 
She was a in a she was in a cruelly false position before the world, and she was powerless to justify herself. Her lips were sealed, and she too must suffer in silence. She remained at Nauvoo, and the burden of her life became greater than she could bear. She became insane, a common fate of polygamous wives, by the way, and remained a maniac until her death. And it doesn't sound like she had any support from no, family or from, from her polygamist husband. No. And she had to deal with that alone. Notice that she said that insanity was common among plural wives. It doesn't sound like it's the exception as much as, as it was so common. Now, polygamy is no less painful for women in these days than it was then. Now, there's more. Yes. Another wife whose husband had promised her he would not take another wife did take one. On hearing the news, she became a raving maniac and died in the insane hospital. Still another, who was as bitter an opponent of the system of celestial marriage, was one day invited by her husband to go for a drive. Touched by this unusual act of kindness, for he had been anything but kind to her, since he could not obtain her consent to his taking another wife, she quickly made herself ready and went with him. He drove her to the insane asylum and left her, and she is still an inmate of that place, although she is as sane as I am at this moment. I could cite hundreds of such cases that occurred during the first years that directly followed the Reformation and that have multiplied since until the recital of them would fill a large volume. That, <laughs> drove her to awful. the insane asylum. You know, Earl, as, as we read these kinds of things, um, I know that you have family who, who have journals or family journals, and, and, mm -hmm. and I've talked to so many people, especially from the Mormon church, who say, I've read the journals of my great-great-grandmother and she was a plural wife and everything was wonderful and loving and kind and blah, blah, blah. And, and what about things like this? You just wonder if they're not sugarcoating their journal because they know that people will read it later. They and don't they, dare they talk don't bad against it. God and right. His commandments. And they wouldn't want it written down for right. even the husband or another wife to find. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yet we, you have to take both sides of the issue. You have to take what they say with things yeah. like this that we read. And notice that she says that she could cite hundreds of such cases. And as I was reading this, she said, until the recital of them would fill a large volume, I thought, I wish you had. I'd love that volume. I'd like love to, to read well, some the of other those. Part of that, too, is when, when a man has 15, 20 wives, what's... Uh, they're just property. Mm -hmm. there, there's no caring, there's no nurturing, no worrying about the feelings of any one individual. You just, okay, well. There's always a favorite. There's or two, always another one to go to. And the to, others and, are neglected. Yeah, and they're yeah, neglected. And they know it, and the children know it too. On pages 311 and 314, uh, Anne Eliza tells the story of two lovely, vivacious young Scottish girls who immigrated to Utah. Uh, from Scotland, and they got caught up in the dreaded law of polygamy. This happened a lot with the oh, immigrants bad. who came from Europe. Uh, their polygamist husband was a cruel man, though, uh, and he didn't care much for their physical or emotional needs. It's a very long and gruesome story, which you can read for yourself, but it ended like this. He insisted on her returning to him, and the poor woman, seeing no way of escape, was sealed again to him and was taken to his home, a miserable, comfortless place where he had five wives already living in poverty and the most terrible degradation. 
Huddled together like so many animals, they respected neither the laws of decency nor morality. Hannah was there but a short time before she became hopelessly insane. She is living still, but the light of reason has gone out forever, quenched by the horrors of a system which she always loathed. Her sister is a moral and physical wreck and owes her depraved condition to the cause that made her sister a mental ruin. Life opened brightly enough for these girls in their home amongst the, uh, among the Scottish hills, but the curse of Mormonism found them out, and then there was nothing but wretchedness and despair for them. You know, you just want to cry when you read stories like this. How many lives does Mormon polygamy have to ruin? And they had such hope and aspirations coming from Scotland to here to America to a better life, yeah. they thought, and mm -hmm. and then to come into that. Uh, and of course, when they proselytized in Europe, this is the true kingdom of God, restored, beautiful, wonderful, and, and yeah. they just colored it up so so precious. Well, and they certainly didn't then talk they, about polygamy and that they were going to be They denied it. And, right. They would deny it, yeah. even though the people that were denying it were actually living it. John Taylor did that in France. Yeah. And he had 11 wives and, and denied that they lived polygamy. So that's, oh, again, they're lying for the Lord. Now, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, so again, we have to ask, how many lives does Mormon polygamy have to ruin before it's finally stopped? Because this goes on today, different way, but still yeah. it goes on. Where's the free agency that Mormonism boasts about? Today's polygamy, polygamy groups, have they do not respect other people's free agency at all. I asked a, a few people from a certain polygamy group about the treatment of plural wives who escape. Oh One very disturbing response said this about those <clears throat> who get away. We quote, These polygamous men will go over and beyond to prove the mother unfit to the court. They'll often set their ex up to fail and then document it thoroughly for a future court case. These polygamists are getting very good at using the law to their advantage. There you go. Yeah. And we've had guests on our show, and again, Rachel Kingston is one right. of them, where her husband set her up to fail and then used it against her. The judge gave him um, Documented the kids. Documented along the way or mm -hmm. something. And, yeah, and yeah. make her so that she would fail. And it's just it's awful what they do. I've seen it more times than I can count. Mm. Uh, and polygamists take extreme measure to make and to keep plural wives. They just do. Uh, isolation and severe discipline are just a couple of them. And insanity is hidden away rather than dealt with in a restorative environment. Although polygamists use the Bible to validate their polygamy, they ignore it regarding their behavior. Here's one scripture that they really do need to pay attention to. Yeah, this is from Psalms 125, verse 5. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. There you go. And, and you know, that reminds me of a verse, several verses in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, where it says, your false prophets are saying the Lord says when the Lord didn't say. Ooh. Be in yeah, trouble. <laughs> that's trouble. And and in the end, God will have the last word, yeah. and His word is true. And sadly, women and children continue to suffer under the cruelty of Mormon polygamy and Joseph Smith's deceitful teaching that polygamy buys salvation. Um, and to complete our discussion on this topic, and there wasn't a ton of information in history that I could find, you know, to, 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 to add to our discussion. But I did find this article from the New York Times, yeah. which was written in 1882, right. about the horrors of Utah's insane asylum. It's quite a long quote, but it's very interesting. It is fascinating. And this is dated August 23 of, of 1882, I guess. 
This morning, the Honorable G.A. Tucker, an English gentleman from New South Wales, with letters of introduction to the governors of states and territories, asking permission to visit insane asylums and jails, published a letter in the Tribune giving a description of his visit to the Utah Insane Asylum, situated three miles east of Salt Lake City yesterday. Accompanied by United States Marshal Ireland and Mr. Neal of Louisville, Kentucky, the father-in-law of Governor Murray, Mr. Tucker, visited this asylum, which is under the charge of Dr. Seymour B. Young, a nephew of Brigham Young, and three Mormon commissioners. Mr. Tucker says he found 21 patients, 9 females and 12 males, in the most filthy condition imaginable. Some were in iron cages outside the main building, while others were in irons bound hand and foot. Of these patients, two were perfectly sane and have no idea why they are confined. One of these sane persons is a man by the name of Sherman who has been confined for 10 years. He was robbed of his wife by a Mormon polygamist and has been confined in this place ever since. He appears to be a gentleman who has seen better days and is from the East. This man is in one of the cages in the yard, which he has fixed in a tasty manner with crude tools of his own make. A daughter of John Taylor was formerly confined in this asylum, but she has been removed to a private house in the city. Her insanity was caused, caused by her father endeavoring to force her into polygamy. The inmates of this institution are punished with a club and strap, the club for men and the strap for women. Mr. Tucker closes by saying, I have, during the last four months, visited four asylums in New South Wales, three in Victoria, two in Adelaide, two in Tasmania, and three in New Zealand, one in Honolulu, three in California, one in Nevada, and the one in Utah. And in no instance have I seen sights so horrible as those of today. Wow. And this <laughs> is the epitaph of the kingdom of God, right? Yeah, this That's is how they uh, treat. The, the only true church. The only true church does these things. Yeah. No, the asylum was three miles east of Salt Lake City, so wherever that would have been, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, but don't. but notice how polygamy was part of the insanity yeah. of some of these. Now, surely they probably were truly insane from other reasons, right. but polygamy is mentioned specifically as being part of the reason that they're in that insane asylum. And like that other story that Ann Eliza told, the man took his wife to the insane asylum, even though she wasn't insane, and left her there because she refused to consent to his having another wife. This man here was there, and he wasn't insane either. No. And he'd been there 10 years. Yeah. 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 And it's all to hide the polygamous antics of the other spouse. Very ungodly thing that the kingdom of God would not do, the true kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm sure that was run very autocratically or theocratically, you know, Brigham Young and, the, and his, his group there. They well, were the, probably running things pretty the, tightly. The, uh, yeah, the, the doctor was Mormon, Brigham Young's sure, nephew, and sure. then the other commissioners were all yeah. Mormon commissioners. And you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they they tend to have a um, vengeance against those who didn't believe the way they believe. Sure. In those early days, yeah. and if you didn't believe in polygamy, then then they would take it out on you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, our next topic doesn't deal directly with today's polygamy, but it has a connection with Mormon polygamy dogma and their ruthless and merciless behavior. Now, it's about the Mormon Indian placement program or how the Mormons dealt treacherously with the Lamanites. First of all, DNA evidence proves the Book of Mormon teachings about the Native Americans is false. Okay, True. we'll start that right start off the bat. With that. <laughs> so they're starting with a, a false basis yeah. um, to get to where they're at. Now, the Smithsonian Institution actually denies that the Book of Mormon is a historical a document, and history departments in non-Mormon universities <laughs> and schools, they don't use the Book no. of Mormon as any historical, valid historical record, but they do the Bible. Sure. They'll use the Bible because it is frequently used because it is historical and it has value and accuracy. Now, the polygamists believe that the, uh, the in the Book of Mormon and they hold it in higher esteem than they do the Bible, which is a reliable historical book. Mormon prophet Brigham Young said this, Take up the Bible, compare the religion of the Latter-day Saints with it, and see if it will stand the test. The doctrine that we preach is the doctrine of the Bible. It is the doctrine the Lord has revealed for the salvation of the children of God. What happened to that quote in Mormonism? He's <laughs> <laughs> always so bold in his statements, isn't he? <laughs> and he invited a comparison yeah. to test to see if that was the fact. And that's what we do. That's that's a big part of, of what we do. Maybe he assumes nobody will actually look. Well, I that's guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we invite Mormons <laughs> and polygamists to, to do the same thing and, 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 and to open up your heart and minds and learn that God does not discriminate according to skin color, and the Bible never mentions historical Lamanites. Now, Mormon President Ezra Taft Benson did the Native Americans a great disservice when he concocted the Indian placement program in the early 20th century. There was a lot of resultant sexual and mental abuse. Some Mormon families who hosted Lamanite children actually expected their skin to turn white because they were living in white Mormon families. We have a comment. Um, kind of to set the foundation for all of this by their president, John Taylor, and it illustrates the Mormon's pretension to supreme righteousness. Now, I hope you're never offended by these things since oh, you I'm were not. a Mormon for no. so many years. No, and we even participated <laughs> in the Indian placement program. So we, we had a young lady for a few weeks until her family came and got her and took her home. And she was so distressed. She, she was, was. She was homesick, more than likely. A, we had a daughter her age, and they went to school together and spent time uh, together. We set up a room for her. She had her own room and had our boys go down the basement so they weren't in mm -hmm. the neighborhood up there. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, her she was apparently distressed because she called her family and she wasn't supposed to call her family, but but she did, and so they uh, came up. And came and got her. Came and got her. Yeah. Anyway, John Taylor said this in the Journal of Discourses, Well, here we are, and who are we? We are the saints of the Most High God, are we not? And after all our weakness and infirmities, we are the best people there is under the face of heavens by a thousandfold. Poor as we are, weak as we are, changeable, afflicted as we are, still we are the best people God has upon the earth. If truth is revealed anywhere, it is here. If God communicates his will to the human family anywhere, it is here. If anybody can enlighten mankind, this people can. And if the nations of the earth, with their kings, potentates, 
and powers are ever exalted in the kingdom of God, ever receive the light, truth, and intelligence of heaven, it will be through the means of this people. Wow. Wow. Is that <laughs> arrogance or what? Yeah. And we wonder if it's this kind of arrogance that is part of what was behind the Mormon placement program. I'm sure it was. And they, of course, they wanted to to bring the, the Native Americans into Mormonism, too. That was sure. probably number one. But anyway, let's explain the program first. Yeah, here quote. it is. This program began in 1947 and had its last student graduate in 2000. It involved Native American children and teenagers, primarily of Navajo descent, being removed from their homes and placed in the custody and care of Mormon families. Okay, now that doesn't sound so bad to, 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 to start with. They lack economic opportunity and yeah. they wanted to give it to them and education and so on. That ne not isn't necessarily a bad thing, but how they implemented it was. We have another quote. More specifically, the program aimed to provide educational, spiritual, social and cultural opportunities in non-Indian community life for Latter-day Saint Indian children. In other words, the program existed to integrate Native American children into the larger and more culturally dominant Mormon community. Okay, again, you know, how they did it is questionable uh, according to what their goal was. Many homes, of course, were upset and separated because of this program, just like what happened to, yeah, to yours. Yeah. Granted, there were many people who were helped, and you can find many testimonies of Native Americans who received education and other chances they otherwise probably would not have had. But does the end justify the means? <laughs> Would there have been a better way to achieve their desired results than tearing children away from their homes and families and placing them among strangers? The newspaper article explains the program in a nutshell. A more critical examination, however, one that takes Mormon teachings into account, indicates that the program existed to save Native Americans, the descendants of the wicked Lamanites, from eternal damnation and suffering. Whether or not intentional, the Indian Placement Program reinforced the belief, which originates in the Book of Mormon, that dark pigment is a sign of debauchery, degeneracy, and inferiority, that darkness is akin to dirtiness. Such a program sends the message that Native Americans should be ashamed of their heritage and skin color. In 1960, Spencer W. Kimball, who was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, spoke at a general conference session and proclaimed that the program literally lightened the skin of its participants. The children in the home placement program in Utah are often lighter than their brothers and sisters in the Hogan's on the reservation. Kimball said. Can you believe that? Can you know, hardly you say that without that? laughing. Uh, for <laughs> sure. And I met a, a Native American one time who hated God with a passion, and I asked her why, and she explained she had been in this program, yeah. and the Mormon family she was set in would look at her skin every morning when she got up it's to a, see if it had turned white overnight, or... <laughs> and if it hadn't turned any lighter, they would ridicule her and for, for mock her and not, because uh, she was still dark-skinned and not righteous like they were. She had I told her that was not God. Don't get mad at God. That was not him that did that. No. And, and I've read several testimonies of successes 
uh, of this program and, and opportunities that were not a disaster, but so many of them were yeah. disasters and abusive. According to this article, a lawsuit was filed in 2016 against the Mormon Church by a brother and sister who alleged abuse during their time with white Mormon foster families. They claimed that they were 10 and 11 years old and were, were repeatedly sexually and emotionally abused. They reached out to the Mormon Church for help but received none. And that brings us to the final point of our discussion, a Lamanite, George P. Lee, <laughs> right. a Native American, or as Mormons say, he was a Lamanite who was appointed to be a general authority, the first and only non-white general authority the members uh, Mormons have ever had. Yeah. He was excommunicated on September 1st, 1989, and the reason for the excommunication was apostasy and conduct unbecoming a member. But five years later, he pled guilty to attempted sexual abuse of a child, we quote. This is from the Desert News. For months, George P. Lee emphatically maintained his, it, maintained his innocence, warning that God will punish those accusing him of sexually abusing a 12-year-old girl. But the former LDS general authority pleaded guilty. Lee was scheduled to stand trial on a charge of aggravated sexual abuse of a child, Instead, he accepted a plea bargain, allowing him to plead guilty to a reduced charge of attempted sexual abuse of a child. <laughs> so when he was, he claimed that when he was still a general authority of the LDS Church that he went to the top of a mountain and told God he had fallen in love with a 12-year-old girl. In the girl's testimony, she said that she was confused that he would go to the Lord and speak to him about her, and the Lord said it was okay. So, you know, sure it's messing <laughs> with her mind. She said that Lee, <clears throat> excuse me, was a former neighbor, and he sexually abused her from the time she was nine years old. Mm. He told her not to tell anyone because the Lord had told him to do it, and it should just be their secret. She said she thought she, that that was what was supposed She's to supposed happen to, to her. Yeah. Now, other reports are that Lee offered the 12-year-old girl a polygamous marriage, and I had heard that report, too, several years ago, <clears throat> which is merely following in the footsteps of his beloved prophet, Joseph Smith. Now, Lee and all the pedophile polygamous men since Joseph Smith say the same thing. God told me to do it, and it's a lie. God never told anyone to abuse others, especially children, and God never told anyone to live polygamy. This is where the teachings of Jesus Christ are so important and appropriate where he said this. Yeah, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And we talk about this frequently on yeah. the show, quoting that same verse. Every tree is recognized by its fruit. An apple tree <laughs> produces apples. Mormonism will produce Mormon beliefs. And Mormonism was started by Joseph Smith, who was a predator, an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver, a false prophet, and a pedophile. And these, by the way, can be verified in legitimate Mormon history and documents, which we have shown many, many times during the past 10 years of doing our program. Yeah. The religion, this religion is based on that kind of root, and it cannot help but produce members who do what Joseph Smith did. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit, said Jesus Christ. Thus, we have polygamy groups, sexual abuse among the highest in the nation. 
pornography, the highest in the nation, underage marriages, plural marriages, emotional and spiritual and domestic abuse, and an attitude that the end justifies the means. The sexual abuses within the LDS church continues to climb at an alarming rate. There was just another one last week. And will not stop until the LDS changes its leadership from Joseph Smith to Jesus Christ alone. They have to toss out Joseph Smith. We have another quote. Yeah, this is from 2 Nephi, chapter 5, verse 21. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were wide and exceeding fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And that's just one of the many, many many passages in Mormon scripture that teaches discrimination based on skin color and was the cause of the Indian placement program. What a sad legacy. (laughs) And the polygamy groups are the same way. They discriminate something terrible. Thank you, Earl. You bet. Thank you. You know, the Bible is so misunderstood and grossly misused by those who have not surrendered their hearts and lives and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. No passage in the Bible is to be privately interpreted. The Bible interprets itself. Therefore, knowing all of the Bible and how each passage is applied is necessary in order to properly apply other passages. The worst error is to grab a passage out of its context and drop it into your own doctrinal ideas that will corrupt it. And that is what Mormonism has done. We urge our viewers to give your hearts to Jesus and then ask him to help you understand God's word. He will, because one of his names is the word of God. Don't put off for tomorrow what you should do today. And the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.